Sup, y'all, and welcome to Press On Sports. I'm Jack Vita. Today is June 23rd, 2019. So much to get to today. First of all, I was out of town last week. I was down in Florida. That's why I have not gotten a chance to comment on the NBA Finals. So we're going to do a little bit of that today. Also, we're going to talk some baseball. We're going to have to talk a little bit about the NBA Draft what's going on with this big Anthony Davis trade between the Lakers and the Pelicans, what it all means. And in terms of baseball, you've got some interesting stuff going on in the National League. Cubs are sliding. Phillies are sliding. Braves are on fire. The Reds are playing some great baseball. So it's going to be a lot of fun to unpack all of that. Also, Toy Story 4 just came out this weekend, saw it over the weekend, was very good, very much enjoyed it, so I might be doing an episode on that later this week or next week. We'll see. Gonna have to navigate through some stuff. And now I'd like to welcome in my guest for today. Guys, we got a big name guest. This is a guy who was a an Ivy League star basketball player. I think maybe the first D1... At- no, actually, never mind. We've had some D1 athletes on here. But uh, lit up the Ivy League for a few years, was one of the top players in the state of Illinois in high school. Um, and now he is retired. How's retirement treating you, Connor? First of all, quite the introduction, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Retirement is is great. Don't think I've been on a basketball court for maybe over a year. Um, <laughs> so, so living up retired retired life. Yeah. And by the way, I, I forgot to get the full name in there. This is Connor Bame from Dartmouth Basketball. Go Big Green. There we go. Go Big Green. <laughs> How's morale? Morale is pretty good. Um, you know, I would like to and we can we can get into this later. I would like for the Cubs to be playing better. Um, <laughs> thankfully, the Brewers and the Cardinals I th- are losing right along with them. Um, but everything else is going good. You know, heading into summer, work is good. Uh, Boston's going well, so morale's morale's pretty good. How about yourself? Things are good. I uh, just enjoyed a nice vacation. Slowly improving on my recovery. Doing some more exercise stuff. Been doing some ten mile bike rides lately. Good awesome. exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully uh, the summer weather helps it out a little bit. Yeah, I hope so, too. Well, I really wanted to get you on to talk about these NBA finals and some of the other stuff that's going on in the National Basketball Association right now with you being a retired D1 athlete. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what? let's go back. I know it, it was almost two weeks ago now the finals ended actually it was only a week it feels like feels longer yeah i guess it's it's only been a week (laughs) what is your biggest takeaway from these finals honestly i it was it was shock i I couldn't believe that the toronto raptors won um i mean you go back the last four or five years you can you could sort of say at the beginning of the season i know exactly who's going to be in the finals and the warriors are going to win it kind of felt like that um you know no matter what happens you know the warriors are going to be there barring catastrophic injury which ultimately happened but yeah. it was it was almost shocking to to just sit there and think okay the toronto raptors won <laughs> the nba finals a little bit reminiscent i think of the 04 Pistons 
where you yeah, had, that's what you know, I was three back to back or a three peat from the Lakers. They got Gary Payton and Carl Malone. And there's you just think you're thinking before the season, there's no way these guys are losing the finals. And then some team really out of nowhere um, comes in and, and claims the title and kind of reshapes, you know, the direction of the league for years to come. So I don't know. It, it sort of feels like that where, you know, the Warriors dynasty seems seemingly kind of coming apart. Um, you got a lot of big trades happening and, and, and pending free agency is going to really shift the balance of the league. But it, it was refreshing, I guess, to see refreshing and, and shocking that the Toronto Raptors came in and won the finals. Very shocking. I want to go back to that comparison you made with the 04 Pistons. Uh, I think it was two, three weeks ago I had a guy named Parker Gatewood on the show uh, who's actually a former American Ninja Warrior competitor. And we had a fun time talk previewing the series. And that's what we were saying is if there's any chance they have to be like the 04 Pistons. Now they have a true superstar, which I don't think that team had Rasheed yeah. Wallace was your top guy. And he might be, he might be a hall of famer. He had a great career, but we're looking at Kawhi as one of the top three players in the league. Potentially we said they're going to have to shut them down defensively. Now, Injuries did come into play, and they were a big factor. But I don't think you can take that. I Actually, we'll, we'll get to that in a second uh, in terms of there should be an asterisk next to the Raptors as NBA champions. I firmly believe that. There are two other situations that this is comparable to, and that was the Heat losing to the Mavericks in 2011. Yep. It, in the sense of it seems like every 10 you know, eight, 10 years, we have one of these, whoa, what just happened moments in the finals where a team that is, isn't quite as stacked or isn't as talented ends up winning because they play better as a team and they just are better for four days. Yeah. And then the other one is when Kawhi Spurs ended the Heat's three-peat, potential three-peat. So now he's done that twice, which is really, really special. Yeah, no, and it is a little bit different because Kawhi Leonard is a guy who's, you know, you can make the argument is is the best player in the league or what at least was last yeah. year and throughout the playoffs. But um, what's really interesting is coming out of that, now the Raptors are champions, but going into next season, there is no clear team. There is no clear, you know, a few teams, I guess, that you can point to and, and say, these guys are are you know kind of the favorites coming coming into next year, so I think with the injuries that are happening with Kawhi you know with all the free agency and with the Raptors now winning, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how how everything shakes out. Now we just had a draft in the big Anthony Davis trade, but there's a ton of free agents out there, and it, it will be really interesting to see um, where everything stands when the season starts next year. Yeah, and that's a great thing in my opinion because. The league that I fell in love with as a kid, it was always open. Even when the Lakers were three-peating, they were vulnerable. And it didn't seem like Golden State was ever really that vulnerable up until these finals. And I think that's a good thing to have it wide open. That's, I know a lot of people coming into the season, coming into these playoffs, had lost a lot of excitement and interest in the league because it had felt so predictable, myself included, did you feel that way at all? A little bit. 
um, it, it was one of the, yeah, I, I think I alluded it to before, where before the season you can, you know, everyone knows it's going to be the Warriors in the finals and they're probably going to win. And I think if you look at the betting odds before the season, it was like two to one. It was like insane odds before yeah. anyone had played a game that the Warriors are going to go in there and win. So I think it is good for basketball. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure with, with free agency and, you know, there's a couple of guys that if, if another big guy goes to the Lakers, maybe the Lakers become the new Warriors. But I do think it's good to, to have a little bit of um, change and, and see the league a little bit more open than it was previously. Yeah, and I'm not into the makeup of having three or four superstars on one team. And one thing I that was very refreshing about the Raptors is they, they had a true superstar and then they had a sidekick, and then they had a bunch of good role players, and that is the, the league that you and I grew up watching. That's all you needed to win. Yeah, I think so. But it, it, it did seem that ever since you know that that Heat big three came together, that that's sort of the formula yeah. to win a championship. Now, yeah. um, Raptors certainly being an anomaly, but a, it was barring sort of two catastrophic inju- injuries on the Warriors' part. Yes. But it seems, you know, you see the Lakers kind of doing it, and it seems like these superstars and these GMs think, we don't have a shot unless we can get, you know, two to three players that are Hall of Fame-type talents. Um, and that's just sort of the formula that that's in the league right now, and that everyone's it's kind of a race to grab two or three kind of Hall of Fame players, and who can ever do it, whoever does it is, is in the best position. And that's something that I personally have not enjoyed. So to see what felt like a throwback to the mid-2000s, or even the, you could look at like 2010 with Kobe, and he had Pau Gasol, and then he had a bunch of role players, and Bynum, and Odom, and Derek Fisher. Ariza, yeah. Yeah, so I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I, no, I think it's good, but it's also a superstar-driven league, and, and you know the LeBron James and the Steph Currys and the Kevin Durant's are the people that are kind of the face of the league, and the reason that everyone is is so interesting at the NBA is you know arguably the most popular you know league in in the United States and the world right now. It's because you have these these superstars that are playing together and they're winning championships and they're winning multiple championships and they're you know shooting threes and all of this stuff. So I think it's it's good for parity, good for the league to be open like this, but it also, you know, part of the reason the NBA has been so successful is because you guys you you got you have guys like LeBron and Wade teaming up and Curry and Durant and so forth. So let me ask you this. It, should there be an asterisk next to the name 2019 NBA champion Toronto Raptors? No, I, I don't think there should be. Injuries are part of the game. You know, every team has to to battle them to a certain extent. And, you know, they're they're open for any – I mean, it's, it's not like um, – any team has a chance for injury. They happen every year. They happen every playoffs. Uh, you know, the Warriors have been the beneficiary the beneficiary of some yeah. this year. Didn't go their way, um, but there shouldn't be an asterisk next to their name. The Raptors played better. They won fair and square. But at the end of the day, <laughs> barring those catastrophic in a world that you know never happened in, in the world where Kevin Durant never you know strained his calf in a world where. Uh, Clay never tore his ACL. The Warriors are winning that. Are, are winning that series. There's no way that a Toronto Raptors team is beating the Warriors team with Durant, Curry, and Clay all healthy. But at the end of the day, the, the Raptors took advantage of the team that was was on the court, and they won. So there shouldn't be an asterisk. 
Yeah, the big thing that I saw is when you don't have Durant and Clay on the court, now the Raptors can double team Steph Curry. They yeah. they don't have the same kind of spacing and <laughs> I feel like that, again <laughs> going I'm banging that drum of liking to see just one or two guys on a team as opposed to having three of them. I feel like that's how it should go in terms of if they can double team Kawhi and they can try to take Kawhi out of the game, they should the other team should be able to do the same thing. So <laughs> I don't necessarily know where I'm going with that, but that was one big observation that I made. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the Warriors' strength was not their depth, and in a way the, the Raptors' strength was their depth. I mean, you have a guy, Kyle Lowry, who's an all-star, but then you have Fred Van Fleet, who's coming off the bench and playing yeah. just as well and sometimes better. So yeah, Raptors used depth to their advantage. Um, and the way the Warriors team was constructed, they knew that depth and injuries, because of their depth, that injuries were a greater risk to them than they were to any other teams. Yeah. Um, and they're willing to take that risk to have those superstars on their teams. But, you know, that, that risk kind of played out with those big time injuries. So while, you, you know, you may be able to double – and you, you actually saw in a few games where they did try to focus in on Kawhi and double-team Kawhi, and that's when Danny Green and Fred Van Fleet and Pascal Siakam went off. It's because they're deep. But if you double Clay, you, you can't give the ball to Quinn Cook or, or you know, Looney or whoever these guys are who just can't create their own yeah. shots. Um, and that's just the way the team was constructed. And because of those injuries and the lack of depth, it played right into the Raptors' hands. Yeah, absolutely. And – it's interesting that with we saw it first with the Heat, and now we've had, uh, this was the third year with Durant with the Warriors, but this is their fifth straight year in the finals. Eventually, someone's going to get hurt when you have a team concentrated on just a few guys, and you're playing deep into June every single year. So it's kind of interesting that we didn't see many injuries down the stretch I mean, I know some of those guys have gotten hurt in the middle of the season, but not when it matters most. And a lot of times it's who is going to be healthy at the end of the year. And it was just bound to happen. And you run that risk. And every team in the league is willing to run that risk, though. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And I'm not a doctor, but. You know, if you have the same group of three, four, five guys playing deep in, <laughs> playing deep into June for five straight years, probably increases the risk that they're going to get hurt, and that's too bad. Um, but you know, that's just the way the game is constructed. That we have a nine-month season, and if you if you go into uh, if you go into the finals, you're playing you know close to 100 100 plus games a year. Um, so probably bound to bound to happen or, or greatly increase the chance of happen when you got such a core group of guys that are going that deep into the playoffs for so long. I'm going to share a quick take on Durant, uh, and then maybe we can transition to some other stuff unless you want to throw some thoughts in there. Are you ready for this? Go for it. All right. So this is going to sound like it's easy for me to say because hindsight is twenty twenty and everything, but I did not like the narrative that Durant had going into, I believe it was game five. That was game five, right? That he played game four, game five. Yeah. I forget. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well it ended in six, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it must, yeah, it, might have been so game it, was, it was game five. All right. Game five I, it is. I, I, well, <laughs> all right. All right. So the thing I did not like to hear was all these people who are like, well, he's got nothing to lose. And, <laughs> 
<laughs> and we saw like there's a lot of risk when you play on a calf that is not at 100% because you put stress on other muscles and other parts of your body that you can become susceptible to some form of injury. But I'll take a step even further from that. I don't know where you stand on this, but when people are like, yeah, you're down 3-1, your team's got nothing to lose at this point. I don't necessarily agree with that. And I know you, you've played sports your whole life, so I want to hear your thoughts on this. But in my opinion, I feel like you've got everything to lose because you're like, I don't think anyone at that point is accepting that, oh yeah, we're probably going to lose. So let's just go out there and see what we can do. I think at that point, your whole season, you have everything to lose. I don't like that narrative all that much. I think I agree with you. I think, you know, when he was out games one, two, three, four, whatever, there was a lot of armchair doctors out there saying, oh, yeah. blah, blah, blah. This is the NBA finals. This is the reason that you play. You're saving it for a free agency next year, yada, yada. But no one really, and I think this even extended to the the Warriors medical staff, no one really yeah. realized that whatever he did to his calf greatly increases the chances of doing something worse. Um yeah. So I think it, it was totally unfair for everyone to co- go out and question his toughness and question his yeah. motives, et cetera, when, you know, you have no idea what's going on. Um, and I'm not sure the, the medical staff or even he knew the extent of what was going on. So I agree he has everything to lose. And if you look, you know, now that he has a ruptured Achilles, his career just took a drastic turn yeah. and is probably going to be completely changed. Um which, which is, which is sad. I mean, he's going to miss a year and the whole next year in his prime. This is, you know, I think he, he can extend or, or sign on for an option this year and then is an unrestricted free agent for the next, but his whole career just changed. Um, so yeah, he, he did have, he did have a lot to lose. Um, and I think it was unfair and, and it was really sad to see him, him go out and, and, try and he was killing it for the first 10 minutes or whatever he was on the court and then for him to go down it was it was awful to see and everyone kind of quickly pulled back and being like oh man now we feel bad for Durant before you know even yeah. though yesterday we were ripping on him and questioning his toughness <laughs> etc um so yeah I agree with you it was totally unfair I also feel like and look the Warriors medical staff they know far more than we do so I'm not I'm not going to get too tough on them here, but I do feel like the Warriors didn't necessarily put him in the best spot because they had to have known this was a serious injury that was going to last a while. And they could have released that information to the press and said, "Yeah, we think he he might be out for the season. Like he he might not play again." But strategically, they didn't want to give that away to the the trailblazers or the rockets or the raptors because they wanted those teams to have to prep and think okay durant's going to be out there this is how we're going to run our defense we got to prepare for that but the downside of that is it did create this whole narrative about his toughness and then it put pressure on him to go out there and it was just really unfortunate to see how it all played out yeah i agree and and Obviously, we don't know exactly what was going on, but it seemed like there was, you know, rumblings and there was some some tension in the locker room and from the coaching staff, et cetera, with him with wanting him to get back out there and play. Um, and uh, obviously, the medical staff didn't know 
you know, didn't have a great handle because if they do, they would never let him, if they knew exactly what was going on, they would have never let him back on the court with that great of a risk to re-injure yeah. or severely re-injure um, your Achilles. So I just think the whole thing was was really sad to watch it play out. Um, and a lot of people, I think, came came away with a newfound or greater um, sense of respect for, for everything that Kevin kind of risked and put on the line there. One thing that I really respected about the Warriors was when they lost, there wasn't any sort of, they weren't doing what the Saints were doing, where they were like, oh, we were screwed because of the refs, or we were screwed because we got hurt, we would have beaten them otherwise. They just, they sucked it up, and they I thought they showed some great sportsmanship right afterwards, shaking their hands and giving them hugs, and some of the guys looked really happy for Kawhi, so I enjoyed seeing that. Yeah, I loved all all I love all the players on the Warriors and how they handled it from Steph to Clay to Draymond to to Kevin Durant. After each and every game then when they were beat, they didn't make excuses. They were, you know, listen, we got beat, we gotta come back and figure out a way to, to play better next game. And when they lost eventually lost the finals, I think they handled it um they handled it great. They took the they took the loss in stride and realized that they need to 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 rework a lot of yeah. things before coming back next year. So uh, from Steph to Clay to, to Kevin uh, to Draymond, I thought they all handled it awesome. And going back to the asterisk thing, one more thing just came to mind, and that's that we did not put an asterisk next to the Warriors when they won the Western Conference Finals against the Spurs when Kawhi got cheap-shotted and taken out. By, uh, and, by Zaza. Yeah, and yeah. they were down 20 at that point, so who knows how that could have played out. And then game six, when uh, Chris Paul was down with a, uh, or it was game yep. seven where Chris Paul was out with the hamstring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's just part of the game. Every team has this, you know, those risks when they when they suit up. Um, every team, you know, has injuries. Sometimes it benefits you more than others, but that's part of the game. You can't make excuses, and you got to play through it. So, yeah, I agree. No asterisk, no nothing. The Warriors, the Raptors won. Absolutely. Well, that was. I feel like we wrapped up the series nicely there. Yeah, and, and now on to the the off season. It was, seems like right after the finals ended, Anthony Davis is getting traded. The, yeah, the uh, the draft just happened, and there's a lot of you know looming free agent, big free agency moves going out there. Well, let's go chronologically. So, I was in my apartment in Florida. I mean, it's not my apartment. We were getting, uh, sure. you know, we we're running it out for a week or a few days and I get a notification on my phone. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this trade that we've been talking about for at least a year, it finally happened. What did you think of this package that the Lakers had to give up? It seems like an awful lot in that. there. I mean, it seems not comparable, but it's, you know, the only other package where you're mortgaging so much of your future in terms of first round draft capital um, brought me back a little bit to the net, that Nets trade. Now, a 26 year old, you know, Anthony Davis is light years ahead of the 37 and 38 year old Paul Pierce yeah. and Durant that you're getting. But it's it was pretty insane to me for a guy who's going to be a free agent uh, within the year, and all signs point pointed to him signing with the Lakers in free agency to give up that much in in first round draft picks and and, and you know a couple young promising guys um 
I can't really think of another another trade that that gave so much to another team. That being said, Herschel Walker. Yeah, Herschel Walker's a good one in the NFL. But you know, that being said, LeBron is 34, 35. Your window is within yeah. the next two years. You have to do whatever you can to go out and make that window work. Um, and that's what they did. So I think. I sort of worked out with with both sides. I didn't, you know, I wasn't rooting for Anthony Davis to go to the Lakers, um, but it will be very interesting to see. I don't think LeBron has ever played with a big guy of that caliber, so um, I don't yeah. know if it's going to end up, you know, clogging up a bunch of the lane for LeBron, or it's just going to be a ton of value <laughs> to Anthony Davis. But it, it will be interesting. I'm. So, I was having questions over this past year, as a lot of people were, about LeBron's future in terms of. Do guys really want to play with him anymore? Because when you play with LeBron right now, I'm not talking about when he was with the Heat or when he was with the Cavs for the first time, but the last couple of years, the narrative is you're a scrub because LeBron has no help. Yeah, <laughs> Your talents get undervalued. You get you don't get to do the same kind of stuff with the ball because LeBron's so ball-dominant. So I was starting to wonder, and with LeBron getting up there in years and all the drama that comes with the coaching, picking a coach, and some of the young guys, their development gets stunted. I just had some questions about about that. Now, now that they have Anthony Davis, this team is probably a top six team in the West next year. Yeah, probably higher than that. Well, we'll safely say top six. Yep. So this is going to be a really good team. I don't know. We'll see what they do from here. They might be a with the Warriors going down, losing Clay and Durant. Who knows what's going to happen with those guys if they'll stick around. But even if they stick around, Clay might not be playing until he might play next spring. But Durant's going to have to sit a year. So that opens things up in the West. There are some other good teams out West that are on the rise. So the West is still tough. But um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I think they're going to be they're going to be competitive. They're going to compete uh, compete for a title. But as you said, that's a short window. They gave up a lot of their future, and they must think that they they're going to win a title with or at least play in the finals with however they're going to assemble this team because they gave up a lot. And like you said, you compared it to that Nets trade. Those first round picks in 2024 and 2025, LeBron is probably going to be long gone yep. by then. This team's going to be rebuilding again, and the Pelicans are going to get potentially a couple of top five picks then. Who, now, who knows? Who knows what will happen? But there's a lot, a lot of interesting stuff going on with that trade. Yeah. I mean, how old is LeBron? 34. So you have three maybe four year you know max window to go out and execute and compete with you know a generational talent so yeah that's a move you have to make um that being said i think with the current roster as constructed they're going to need to add another piece before you know yeah they're, they're the definitive favorites in the league i think you know you need some backcourt help you know, a lot of talk of Kyrie or Kemba or whoever else is out there. But I'm not sure that the current roster as constructed is going to get it done. No, no doubt they'll, they're going to be more competitive than they were last year. But I think they also they need to go out and they need to make another deal. Yeah, they're going to also need to get some uh, shooters to put on the perimeter. To space, with this to, team to space with... the court, yeah. 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 The lane is getting very clogged very quickly. 
And it's weird because I don't know what they were doing with getting Rondo and Lance Stevenson. And Javel McGee. Yeah, that seemed like a very <laughs> odd strategy. And I think even maybe was Michael Beasley in the mix there, too. Like, <laughs> I think he may have been. They were just adding some really piece, some pieces that didn't seem to mesh very well. Some veteran guys who had success recently, but you know, are not going to make your team go from um, eighth in the West to, to being you know NBA champs. So that that and I don't know what their contracts look like, but that seemed seemingly was was an interesting strategy to say the least. Um, but I think they need some shooters. They need a guy to. They need some backcourt help. Um, and you know, they're certainly, they're certainly not done for the summer. I don't buy this new rumor that they, uh, well, maybe the Lakers want him that they want to get D'Angelo Russell. Why? I don't know why he would want to go back to them after how they treated him and shipped him away. I actually heard that too. And that made no sense to me. Maybe, you know, I heard there are some rumblings between him and Magic Johnson and now that Magic is gone that he may be a little bit more open to come back. But that that made no sense to me. And with a guy like D'Angelo Russell, who's like a ball-dominant, uh, volume-type shooter yeah. who need, whose usage rates need to be high for him to be successful, at least, you know, historically, um, I'm not sure how well that's going to fit in, in a group that already has LeBron James and uh, Anthony Davis. I think you need a guy... You know, Kemba seems like a good guy to who would be able to distribute and knock down some shots, and that doesn't necessarily need um, the ball in his hands the whole time. But they need somebody that can go out there and knock down shots and, and get the ball to Anthony Davis and LeBron James. I kind of would like to see D'Lo stay with the Nets. It just feels really right. I know they want to go out and get Kyrie, but the guys blossom so much there, and it's been fun to watch. Yeah, he's been good. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm not sure he's a guy that, that takes your team to the next level. Yeah. Uh, he's been awesome and really reinvented himself in, in Brooklyn. But again, he's a guy that needs the ball a lot. And you know, he's, he's been out of the, he's been out of college now for what, this is his fourth year in the league. Um, I, I don't know how close he is to his ceiling, but it seems like that this past year, you know, He's been out for four years, and there's not there's not a ton of room to grow from here. Um, and and I don't know if if building him, using him as a focal point on your roster, I'm not sure how ultimately successful you can be. And I think that's why we're going to see Brooklyn grab um, one of the elite guards. You know, everyone's talking Kyrie, but they're going to go out and grab somebody. Yeah, it will be interesting to watch. Uh, we won't speculate too much. I get a little, I'm at a point where I'm starting to get a little tired of the speculation stuff where it's like, Oh, this guy got an, he got a new house in LA. So he's going there. Like as if no one ever wants to live in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there's, there's a lot of that. I think there was a picture the other day of Kawhi buying boxes <laughs> at like a Home Depot in Toronto and like Twitter went crazy because, you know, where is where is Kawhi planning on moving, et cetera. I think it's all it's it's actually, you know, you don't put put too much weight in it, but it, that stuff and is always really funny to <laughs> kind of follow and people being like, well, his cousin just took a private jet to, <laughs> uh, you know, Utah. What, what can that mean? Blah, blah, blah. Stuff like that. It's always pretty amusing. Or when you get the, uh, well, this guy just followed, uh, let's say Jimmy Butler just followed Boogie Cousins on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> so now he's going to the Warriors. Like, what? Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's it. That's a whole you know first thirty minutes on first take. The next day is about Jimmy Butler unfollowing Ben Simmons on Instagram or something like that. Yeah. It's it's always great. Oh man, let's talk about this Pelicans. Uh, the move from the Pelicans' perspective, I thought they got a really nice haul here. Who was it again? It was Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, and like three or three first round picks. And Josh Hart. And I Josh think it was Hart, two yeah. picks that are 24 and 25, uh, 2024, 2025, which is good. And then the number four pick, right? Yeah. And I think they also got a pick swap, too. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's. Yeah, that's ins- that's a that's a pretty insane haul. Yeah. But like I was saying before, you know, some of these guys, Brandon Ingram in particular, seems to me like he's been out of the league for now a while, and we really haven't seen him take that next step. You know, if you look back historically, and any of the guys in the league right now that we consider really good or elite, they've already taken that step by the time you know they're three years out of the, three four years out of the league. So Brandon Ingram is one of these guys who's, you know, he's been pretty successful in the league. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of people are lauding the the potential that he has. And he's got a long wingspan and all the tools, et cetera. Some of these guys that the Lakers were holding on to, it's like you need to see them take the next step really quickly or else, you know, you, you got to start putting a, a cap on on the potential talk. So Brandon Ingram will be interesting. We'll see if you know new scenery makes sense. This will be his uh, fourth <laughs> year, by the way, which is I think that's a big year because I think yeah. contracts come up around after their fourth or fifth year. So who knows? I mean, look at D'Angelo was able to spread his wings once he left the Lakers. So maybe some guys. Yeah, had, no, that's a great point. Julius Randle too. Uh, he's not an All Star type player, but he was he had a really good year this year. He, I believe he just opted out. However. He didn't want to be a part of the uh, Lakers reunion tour in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, no, it will be it will be um, be interesting to see. Lonzo Ball is a guy that um, you know just on the surface seems like it will be awesome to watch yeah. him play with Zion and all the with his passing and his ability to throw all the oops and such. It, it, that seems to be like an awesome fit for him. Yeah, um, get. A, I'm hope hopefully leave Lavar in L.A. too. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll see. I think I don't know. One of his kids just—I um, forget which one. I think Lamelo just signed on to play in Australia, so maybe he'll be down down there for the season. Yeah, keep him there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't need any more sound bites. But yeah, I I think this is going to be a team that when they're on on Thursday nights on TNT, I'm going to always want to watch them just because of it's fun to watch these young kids grow. Lonzo, I believe, is only 20 or 21 right now, and Ingram's a year older than him, so they're still really, really young, younger than us. And Zion is going to be... We'll talk about draft in a second, but, man, that guy is going to be a stud. Yeah. He, this team's going to be fun to watch. He's, he's awesome. He's, like, must-watch television. Um, it, was, it was funny to see how much coverage... He got last year uh, as a college player at Duke compared to like DeAndre Ayton, who's the number one overall pick. I think, yeah, or Ben yeah, Simmons. Who I think, you know, I saw DeAndre Payton. who who did get a lot of coverage, but sure. even then, like not Zion. But, uh, yeah, I don't remember ever seeing a guy that was as like must watch appointment television as Zion. Um, so he's going to be awesome to watch, and um, you know, like a once a once in a generation type kind of guy. So 
we'll, we'll talk a little. Let's talk about this draft. Who did you, uh, aside from Zion, who jumped out at you from watching college basketball, reading up on some of the scouting reports and stuff like that? Who are some of these early picks that you really, really like coming into the league? Well, I don't think this one is necessarily original uh, as he went second <laughs> in the draft, but watching yeah. John Morant um, in the NCAA tournament, and I know they got bounced a little bit early by Florida State, but even in that game, like he is unbelievable. He was so good. His ability to to shoot, to pass, just to, to kind of do it all for that team and do it um, – at just an unbelievable level. And he's he's a guy at Murray State I didn't really watch during the regular season. So seeing him come in and he had the triple-double in the first game and playing against Florida State, I was so impressed with how, how good he was. And hopefully he doesn't get lost in Memphis, um, as I think it's probably a little bit easy to do. Um, but he was so fun to watch. What do you mean get lost in Memphis? Well, how many times did you see Memphis play a game last year? Oh, okay. I, I get yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Um, in terms of media coverage. Yeah. No, it's, I think there's a few <laughs> teams around the league and Memphis is, is among them that, and I think Phoenix was another one where a guy like DeAndre Ayton was the number one overall pick goes to Phoenix and like they play two national televised games, um, over the course of a year. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to give you one that I, I, to tell you the truth, I did not study up on the draft as much as I normally do this year. However, there's one top five combo outside of the John and Zion picks that I'm excited about seeing. And I think I like Darius Garland to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Interesting. The reason why is I someone even made this comp uh, during the draft. I think this could be a really cool backcourt to watch with Garland and Colin Sexton. Could be similar to De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald or Lillard and McCollum in Portland. A couple of guys who could shoot it really well, and I, I think that could be a fun backcourt to watch over the next few years. Yeah, I mean, I Garland's not a guy that I really knew prior to the draft. Obviously, he was hurt and didn't play much. Vanderbilt so I really know nothing about him um it seems like a guy whose who's stock skyrocketed once all the, the combines and the the workouts started but you know it's, it's hard to say anything about Darius Garland I just didn't see him play against anyone <laughs> well he was a very high uh prospect coming into yep. Vandy he was a high recruit so he's been on the mock drafts for a long long time and I'm a big Bryce Drew fan because I covered him for a year at Valpo, so I was following him. Sadly, uh, he will no longer be coaching at Vandy, but he actually flew out there and was there on draft night with him. So I'm excited about him. I think that could be a, a nice combo, a couple of nice building blocks for that organization as they move post-LeBron. Yeah, they need. They certainly need help. So <laughs> hopefully Garland turns out to be a star. Uh, anyone else in terms of these lottery picks that you watched a good amount of or you like a lot coming in? I like Kobe White. Um, obviously, Bulls, I'm a Bulls fan, but it seems yeah. like he's he's a good guard. You're kind of moving past the, the Chris Dunn era. Um, I, saw, I saw Kobe play 
a handful of times over the course of the year, but he's a bigger guy, super fast, awesome in transition, controls the tempo. Um, I think, you know, with his size, um, he's got an ability to, to, to kind of add to this core of Laurie, Wendell, uh, Zach Levine, and, and him, and maybe make the Bulls semi-exciting to watch this year. But we're yeah. happy to see them make that pick, which I think a lot of people in Chicago, the kind of the consensus was, wow, <laughs> Garpax may have gotten one right. <laughs> I know a lot of people were, well, at least I heard a couple people. They're like, the last time they took a guy this high out of UNC, it worked out very well. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, a little, little bit of, a little bit of a stretch to be starting the MJ comparison so yeah. early, but yeah, hopefully some fun nostalgia there. Oh, yeah, let's just hope that he's an upgrade from uh, Chris Dunn. <laughs> so, I got another guy. I'll comment on in terms of uh, I don't, I'm not necessarily know where to project him, but I watched him play a lot in college, and that's Romeo Langford out of Indiana. I actually didn't get the chance to watch a ton of Romeo Langford, but it seems like he had some injuries. He's got good size, can do a little bit of everything. He's got a good outside shot. Um, and I'm rooting for the Celtics. I think the Celtics yeah, kind of insane. I like the Celtics. Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be kind of insane, the the transition that they're going to go over this year with losing Horford and, uh, Irv- and Kyrie. Um, but... You know, their young core when 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 a couple of those guys were out, I think two years ago in the playoffs was so good. So it's uh, last year, actually. But yeah, the the year before when Kyrie and oh, uh, yeah, and yeah. Gordon Hayward were out. So you got to see the guys like Jalen, yeah. Jason Tatum kind of excel. Mm-hmm. I think that team was a little bit more fun to watch. So getting kind of getting back to that and adding some nice pieces with him and Carson Edwards, who I think who I think is going to go under the rail yeah. and be pretty awesome. For the Celtics, I think that's hopefully they take a step in the right direction in in sort of a semi rebuild. They got I did they get they got Carson Edwards? What pick was that? It was in the second round. Oh, they oh I because I I didn't know he got traded over there because I saw the Sixers take him. Okay, that is awesome to get the two big guys out of Indiana basketball, Purdue yeah. and IU. That's really cool. Yeah, and of course your your head coach is a former uh, college coach in the state of Indiana, so yeah. probably, probably knows those scouting area uh, scouting areas pretty well. But I think Carson Edwards was awesome. Um, you know, he kind of stole the NCAA tournament a bit, and it was, it was too bad to see them go down in the Elite Eight, and that, that was kind of a, a heartbreaking game. Um, so are you expecting Carson Edwards uh, to be a guy who will come off the bench and give you quick points as that? Do you think that's his what his career will be, or do you think he's got a higher ceiling than that? I think he can start. Um, I think he's he's undersized, but he's explosive and he's athletic and he can get shots off of against the bigger guys. I think you know he's a guy that can can get in there and be a starting one or two guard um, uh, and score a lot of points. Yeah, I think he's a mystery, but I do think that his floor is that he could be that exciting sixth man who gives you a lot of points off the bench. And if that's, you know, I think that's a pretty high floor for a guy that you take in the second round. Yeah, no, uh, agreed. So I'll give you my breakdown of Romeo Lankford real quick. He reminded me of another Big Ten guy that we watched eight, nine years ago, and that's Evan Turner. 
who was an amazing player at Ohio State. I think a lot of people forget how great a college player he was in terms of a long body guard, do it all, play some great, really good defense, um, rebound the ball very well, long arms. I do think Romeo, he's going to have, he has the potential to have a better offensive game than Evan Turner. Evan Turner's made his money on that, uh, like around that 10 footer where he backs down the guy and he fades away. Um, but I, I really like Romeo Lankford. I think he's going to develop a better outside shot. And I think he could end up being a star player. I do think that had he gone back for another year, he could have really grown his game and he would be a top five pick next year. Yeah. I mean, tough to say. I think he was, he was hampered by a few injuries um, yeah. over the course of the year, but you know, he's a prototypical wing player who can get to the rim, who can shoot a little bit. Um, had success scoring at the college level, so I'm hopeful. I like his game. Do you see the Evan Turner similarities? A little bit. I think he's probably a little bit more athletic. Yeah. Um, and hopefully has has a higher ceiling. Uh, yeah. And and can you know is a. a more efficient score or, or, uh, you know, can get to the rim a little bit better. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, both big 10, big kind of wing, wing guys. Yeah, I would agree. I think he's got, I think he does have a high ceiling, a high upside and he's going to be fun to watch. I think that's a good situation for him in Boston. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to see him play next year. Anyone else, uh, notable from this draft, either any late round guys or, um, Anyone that you were surprised fell out of the lottery or fell late or didn't get drafted? No, I think there was um, a lot, you know, a lot of shooting. Uh, that Cam Johnson pick, eleventh uh, to Minnesota, was one that everyone kind of was was scratching their heads about because this guy, you know, he's a se- one of one of the lone seniors that got drafted, but yeah. um, is, is a guy with great size that can shoot the ball and is, is sort of that's sort of the way the, the NBA is going right now. Yeah. And uh I was not too surprised that Taco Fall didn't get picked, but hopefully he sticks around on a practice or well not practice squad but you know g league and yeah I actually, think, I actually think the celtics picked him up oh really I'm like pretty sure uh, like as a an undrafted free agent yeah he signs he signs some sort of contract with the celtics but i'll look it up it was it, i think he i, I just did I, I think he did uh, oh okay um, so yeah you know watching him play against duke he looked <laughs> he looked awesome like yeah duke, duke couldn't square over him during that game he was like the huge factor in that game so you know there haven't been a lot of guys that have been successful in the nba at his height but he looked he looked really impressive when i watched him play against duke yeah i i like watching him he kind of reminded me of some sort of like a zoo animal just the way that he kind of walks around very mild mannered and he's just kind of chilling on the low block and (laughs) but you don't want to get in his way because he's a big guy yeah, he he affected uh, a ton of shots. Was was coordinated down there. Had some moves. I was surprised he didn't get drafted. I think it's probably good by the Celtics to to take a chance on him. Yeah, and Bull Bull went in the second round. Yeah, I saw that he dropped. I think a lot of people thought, at least at the beginning of the season, he'd be a high draft pick, and yeah. he dropped. I think got traded to the Nuggets. Um, 
Yeah, the, you're the right. 44th, yeah, the 44th pick. But I don't know. It's just he's a, he's like, I think, 7-1 or 7-2. It's just it's tough because not a lot of people have um, have been successful like at, at those tall, slender type players. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's tough, and especially with the way that the league is going with, you know, a little bit less emphasis on size and more emphasis on outside shooting. Um, but I like both of those guys, uh, and, and, you know, we'll see in the coming year. Yeah, I'd really like to see a guy that big find success in today's NBA. I think that'd be cool. I, I agree. Uh, not, not a lot of, you know, big guys that you can point to. There's Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns and, um, and others, but there's not like a, a – a lot of centers with typical low post games that you can point to anymore. Yeah, and especially guys who are bigger than seven one, seven two. Yeah. Agreed. I'm pulling for uh, my former classmate Derek Smits, Rick Smits's son, who he just transferred into Butler out of Valpo. Oh, really? uh, I'm hoping he gets his shot next year. He's a good player. Is he? Is he super tall as well? Seven two, I believe. Yeah. Well, that gives you a good start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, good guy, too, by the way. Nice. All right. Let's talk. Uh, unless, do you have any other NBA thoughts that I didn't ask you about or anything? No, I don't think so. We can, we can move on. Okay. Let's go baseball. So there's a lot going on right now. And I'm someone that follows the Major League Baseball season very closely on a day to day basis. Not, maybe not everyone does, but uh, I know people who listen to the podcast, a lot of them do. So over the last week, there are a couple teams. We'll talk primarily National League stuff today, unless you have some other stuff you want to bring up. We're seeing some teams go up, some teams go down. The Cubs right now are struggling, and they're about to start uh, game four of this four-game series with the Mets. They've already lost two out of the first three games, and they're facing DeGrom today. Things aren't looking too great for the Cubs and then they got, well, I guess, well, let's talk some Cubs. Uh, what do you think is, how are you feeling about the Cubs right now? Um, optimistic, but a little bit hesitant. Um, they haven't, they have not been playing well recently. Um, and yesterday it was Quintana, but I don't even really think it's been a pitching issue. I think it's been a hitting issue. Like these guys got to score more runs with, the, with their lineup. Um, we need more production out of everyone. And even it seems even when they are scoring, it's not the guys, it's not the Rizzo's or the Baez's or the Bryant's. It's, you know, you're getting big games from Bodie or Carantini or, or whoever. I think they need to, I think it's a hitting issue. Like with, with runners in scoring position, they need to be more productive. Um, and, and that's been a problem for a few years now. Yeah, they need, and they're getting a lot of solo homers and a, and a lot of homers, but they need to put the ball in play with runners in scoring position, and they need to have you know start having games where you're scoring six, seven, eight runs. Um, because I really don't think it, it, as they they certainly have had their stretches of starting pitching issues and bullpen issues, but I don't think that's the ultimate problem here. I think all three of those are problematic at the moment. I calculated a metric or a stat yesterday between Quintana, Lester, and Darvish. They Over their last 22 combined starts, they have a combined ERA of 575. 
Yeah, no, that's not great. But you know, Lester. And now Hendricks Lester, is hitting Lester the DL too. Lester, yeah, Lester has been good this year. I don't think you certainly can't blame this this stretch on Lester. Um, Darvish has actually looked good in his last few starts as well. Uh, obviously, Quintana had his issues last game, but uh, I don't think the pitching has been the issue. Uh, they've had a great year from Hamels, a great year from Hendricks. Lester is pitching well, a little bit less, uh, a little bit more shaky as of late, but you know he's he's had a good year. Um, Darvish is finding his stride, and, and hopefully Quintana can get there. But again, I think it goes back to you got to get people on base, and when they're on base, you got to put the ball in play. Um, yeah. and, and if you know if I'm pointing to one issue, and that being said, they're still leading the NL Central, so it's not like there's some catastrophic issue with their lineup, and hopefully they figure it out. But they're still in the, they're still in the lead for the division. They've got an awesome roster. Um, pitching, I think, is doing well, and then you got Kimbrel coming up any day now. So I, I like their position. Um, I like where they're at right now. They just I hope they figure out the hitting soon. Yeah, I just I think hitting is a problem. I'm highlighting all the problems here that I see. I think that starting pitching is you know a concern. I think this is an average pitching staff. I think it averages itself out, maybe slightly above average. Has a potential to be really good. Right now, hasn't been the best. You you lose Hendricks for a couple weeks. We'll see how long he's on the DL. Uh, Adbert Alzale is coming in. He looks great. So that's a, that's a good sign there. But then you look at the bullpen, you keep seeing these guys you've never heard of. Brad Brock keeps getting thrown out there and keeps getting shelled. And then uh, you look at the lineup. It's the same story that we've had the last few years. I really would have liked to see them add a couple of contact bats to throw in there or to have keep someone like Tommy Lastella who is going to might start in the all-star game, believe it or not. He's having a great year. Love, love Listella. Yeah. And Descalso's below the Mendoza line who they got to replace him. I don't necessarily know yeah. why they traded him. It's tough. I mean, you know, preface this all with the Cubs are in first place in the division. Yeah. They've got an awesome roster, feel confident. They've got the best closer um, statistically like ever coming up um, almost any day now. So, they're an awesome team, awesome roster, and an awesome position. That being said, you know some of their guys that are supposed to be, uh, you know, all-star MVP type players like Bryant, Baez, Rizzo, Contreras, etc. You need to knock the ball and play with runners in scoring position, and and I don't think they've been doing that. Um, and you know, Almora's been playing better. He's awesome. He's electric in center field. Awesome to watch. Um, but I don't know. You're looking for one of these guys to to sort of erupt and have you know an MVP type season, and we're not seeing that so far. Yeah, and then uh, also going off this, which I think another problem that they have coincides with this one. So the first part that I'm going to mention before I talk about the lineup is this team is sixth in errors in all of baseball, and they're in the lower third of the you know the the bottom ten in the whole major leagues in. Fielding percentage, which is this has been a team that when it won the World Series was a historically great defensive team. They had a great defensive outfield. Yeah, and that's I, surprising to me. Yeah, and I think two things. Now, you could look at, I do think one of the contributing factors to why they've struggled is because some of the way they've built the team in terms of they have a lot of guys who are long ball or bust and they go up and down. But I do think the other thing is I think defense – 
would be tighter. I think it'd be better. And I think some of these other guys like, like Almora and maybe Addison Russell, or, they're going to play at their best when they play every day, when they get developed consistency and get the chance to fail and succeed without any sort of pressure, as opposed to when you're playing every, you know, two out of every four days, you try to get your chances, but then you, your bat cools off when you're hot. We've seen a lot of this, and I would really like to see the Cubs just try to determine who are your best eight guys and put them out there almost every day. Because that's how, that's how I think they're in. Also, settle a consistent batting order. You, I think they need to develop that consistency in order to hit in these big spots. Yeah, and, and I think it's actually a little bit of a, like a chicken and egg problem mm-hmm. where you know these guys may need a little bit of consistency to, to you know to play well, but they not necessarily playing well enough to earn that consistency. Um, yeah, you know because there's guys like you know do you pick Bodie or Schwarber or Almora or, or Cargo or you know they've got some really good guys that may not be in the top nine. Um, and depending on who's playing well, there's no clear cut, I think, top nine, in my opinion. So it is tough because not playing consistently can can be difficult. But it seems to me like, you know, you have you have your five kind of core guys and Baez, Bryant, Contreras, Rizzo. Rizzo. Um, but aside from that, you know, th- there's a lot of shuffling and, and back and forth that, that can be done um, on any given day. Yeah, and I think the defensive problems occur when you put a guy like Brian out in right field where he's not very comfortable and then he gets injured and now he gets injured and his back cools off as a result and I just see a lot of this stuff and I just start to scratch my head I'm just like what is going on when is this gonna stop yeah yeah no it's tough and those points that you brought up about the their fielding percentage are actually quite surprising to me I mean if you go up and down their roster Hayward Almora Baez Rizzo like they have some awesome fielders in their lineup. Um, and I think, you know, it's a little bit of that shuffling around where you have Schwarber, Bryant in the outfield, or, you know, you bring Hayward and center. Yeah. It's, it's that shuffling that may cause some of that. But, you know, if you look up and down the roster, they do have some great defensive players. Well, it'll be interesting to watch. Let's talk a cup about a couple other of these teams that are going to be, there are really a few teams that are going up and down right now that I think are really interesting to look at. And the Cubs meet two of the teams that are on the up right now uh, this coming week. So they've got four games with the Atlanta Braves, who I don't know how closely you've been watching, but they have been an awesome team over the last month. Yeah, they're leading the NL East. Yeah. And now they have a five-and-a-half game lead over the Phillies right now. Yeah, the Phillies are kind of... Um... They're kind of going down, you know. They've got bullpen issues. Harper is is batting like two thirty or something. Um, the Braves are good. The Braves are good, but really, you know, outside of the Dodgers in the NL, I'm picking the Cubs over any of these teams. And now the Dodgers. Are sort oh, interesting. Of, the Dodgers are sort of a different animal. I think they've kind of been pulling away. I mean, they are unreal right now. But outside of the Dodgers in the NL, I'm picking the Cubs over any any of those teams. Okay. All right. (laughs) Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I just think it's important to note what's been going on uh, with the Braves, and that is they have a nice young pitching staff in Soroka 
and Max Freed. Now, Fulton Evich has struggled a little bit after he had a, an excellent year last year. I believe he was top eight in the National League in ERA. He was fantastic last year. But they just pummeled the Phillies uh, last weekend. Phillies are falling off. Uh, and then the, the other one that is going to be interesting for the Cubs this week is they play the Cincinnati Reds, who are qu- good. Yeah. <laughs> quietly playing some great baseball right now. And looks like Scooter Jeanette is going to be back sometime in the next couple weeks. And I think they if they get Scooter Jeanette back, that's a huge, huge piece in their lineup that I think you get him back. He's Last year he hit like 310, had almost 30 homers. He's a great contact hitter, and I think he's going to space out their lineup nicely, and it's going to allow for some other guys to uh, start hitting a little better, like Puig and Suarez, some of those guys that we know are really good hitters. This has always been a good hitting team. The bats are starting to come alive. Their pitching has been very good, and their run differential is plus 50, which is one of the best in all of baseball. Yeah, the NL Central is weird, where the, the the top of the league is, you know, may not be the the elite of the MLB, but all five teams are are you know, if their five is is better than any other five in baseball. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Have you uh, have you followed the Reds at all? I can't say outside of when they're playing the Cubs. Uh, <laughs> not really. I mean, I see them creeping up four and a half games behind, but it's I'm not I'm not tuning into Reds games on. You know, on a regular basis. Well, this is the first year in since maybe 2014 that I did not have MLB extra innings. And they were one of my favorite teams to watch over the last few years, just because they always score so many runs that give up a lot of runs in a hitter's park. Uh, now they didn't have the best pitching staff. Now they have a good pitching staff. They're a fun team. I'm a big fan of Joey Votto and Scooter Jeanette. So I think that's going to be a big series quietly. Uh, I'm, I don't know if it's at Wrigley or if it's at uh, the Great American Ballpark, but that's going to be a big series. The Reds are good, yeah. They're not – absolutely shouldn't be take, taken lightly, and it's it's too bad that you don't have one of those teams in the NL Central. You know, if you, <laughs> like, you, know, if you, look, you, you look at you know the NL East, you got the Marlins, or the West, you got the Giants – you don't have one of those teams in the central where you can, you know, take it, take a three game series and be like, Oh good. you know, we can take you, we can take a breather here and, you know, squeak out a, a series sweep. They're, they're just, you know, the giants are past their window. They're going to start their rebuild soon when Bochy retires. Yeah. They're sellers. They're sellers. Yeah. Bumgarner is probably going to get traded this year, which will be interesting. Yeah. looks like he's going to get traded. A couple pieces in their bullpen may be up for sale. Um, it's interesting. The Giants have been kind of been there, been contenders for the past decade or so, um, and they're and they're finally sellers. But you know, in terms of the NL, I think it's the Dodgers and everyone else right now. Um, but you know, uh, hope, hopefully, we see a, a Dodgers Cubs NLCS. Yeah, we'll see. We will see what happens. Uh, the Phillies are going down right now. Some people are starting to wonder about Gabe Kapler, which was. An interesting hire at the time. I know some people were a little confused by it at the time with him not having any managerial experience at any level. It seems like the hot seat is warming up out there in Philly. Yeah, and this is another team that you know I haven't necessarily paid close attention to, but it looks like a team you sign Bryce Harper, you get um, what's what's his name, the guy, the other guy on their team, uh, Real Muto you know, or Segura. 
Oh, Hoskins. Yeah, Reese Hoskins. Yeah, Hoskins back off for a great year, and you're looking like the favorites in the NL East. Um, yeah, they they got to figure something out at the at the at the break. It sounds like the Nationals. I heard a rumor the other day that they might float Scherzer out there in some trade rumors, which I actually think is not a bad move for them. Really? Yeah. Do you know how long he's got left on his contract? That's a good question. Let's look it up. Yeah, because you know that could be a pretty massive haul for them if they put him on the block. He's he's still he's one of the best pitchers of, of the last decade. Yeah, I think he is the best. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah, I think he right now is the best pitcher in the National League. He's under contract through uh, 2021. So that means at, yeah, at two more years. Two years after this. So you get him for two and a half yeah. years. You shed some salary because it looks like he's going to have He's going to make $35, $34 over the next couple of years. It's a lot of money. and Yeah. I mean, he's he's quietly one of the like the best pitchers of all time. Yeah. He's he amazing. insane. Yeah. Um, he's insane, and whoever gets him, it's, it's going to be going to be quite the haul. The Yankees are going to need to – they need to try to get a Bumgarner or a Scherzer or what, a true – ace type of guy that they can throw in the playoffs that can help them win these playoff games. I really think the Yankees are going to need that in order to beat Houston. Yeah, I mean, they've been doing pretty well without one of those guys and, and without like a lot of their their big bats and a lot yeah. of have been I don't even I don't know how they've been doing so well, but they have um so we'll see. I'm sure they'll make a big move, a big Yankees-esque move at the deadline. Um but they're they're pretty awesome right yeah. now. I like the Rays too. I think the Rays are they're a uh, little under the radar, but I think they're legit. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It looks like the the wild card might be two AL East teams. Yeah, it could be. Um, we'll see. It could come down to if Cleveland can get it together, if uh, Texas or Oakland wants to uh, put a nice run together. I feel like the A's are going to have another one of these big runs where they win fifteen out of. 19 games or yeah. something. Yeah, it seems to happen every year. Yeah. <laughs> every year that they end up making the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> they were rebuilding there for a little while, but yeah, it's been it's been a fun season, fun pennant race in both leagues and I'm uh, I'm loving it right now. Yeah, I'm just hoping for a Cubs win today. Okay, I'll ask you uh one more question about baseball any thoughts on the brewers or cardinals right now cardinals not worried about um you know they're hanging around only a game back but at the end of the day i don't think they're going to be there um brewers i am worried about uh they've got some awesome players i mean yelich is probably going to be an mvp again um They've gotten a great bullpen. They've got that. What's his face? Uh, the lefty out of the bullpen. Cater. Yeah, who's just who's unhittable. That's a tough team to face down the stretch. Um, you know, they haven't been playing well as of late, and the Cubs have had a chance to kind of extend a lead in the division, and they haven't done so. So it's it's sort of been neck and neck the whole year, um, and it's it will be interesting to go down. You know, it can go either way. Yeah, I really cannot figure out the Cardinals because this if they miss the playoffs this year, 
that will be four straight years of them missing the playoffs. And there are going to be some changes made as a result of that, I would think, because that is, I mean, the Cardinals are held to such a high standard. They've been a first-class organization for such a long time. Well, they, they tell people they're a first-class organization. <laughs> I'm not sure have been but they like to tell people <laughs> uh, they've done a great job for a long time they're historic it's a little unfortunate that the cubs and cardinals haven't really been going back and forth as the top two teams in the nl central the last few years there was that year in 2015 where they played in the playoffs but it's such a classic historic midwest rivalry it would be cool if they had some games that really meant something down the stretch where yeah i'm sure they'll be there and there's been some you know some sunday night baseball games and some big series both at bush stadium and at wrigley so there it's been a bit a little bit more meaningful than maybe the past few years but at the end of the day i'm not too worried about the cardinals i think that the brewers are the team to to keep your eye on yeah they just keep sweeping each other back and forth yeah exactly (laughs) yeah whoever's at home yeah, I was thinking about that Cubs-Cardinals rivalry. I just started reading a book about Tony La Russa's managing called Three Nights in August. Have you ever heard of this book? No, I haven't. Well, this uh, author, Buzz Bissinger, who wrote Friday Night Lights, he follows La Russa around for this series with the Cubs in 2003, which, you know, historic Cubs team that almost... Almost got there. <laughs> we won't go down too far on memory lane because that was a painful year for the Cubs. But it uh, chronicles this big series between the two teams in 2003 in August. And it just it brought me back. And I was like, man, it'd be cool, uh, cool to see that if they had some similar battles down the stretch here this year. Yeah, no, we'll see. Um, I think... You know, very well could happen, but I think you know the the Brewers, the Brewer, the the Milwaukee Chicago rivalry is going to be the more important one this year. Yeah, and you mentioned Yelich as a potential two-time MVP. Right now, I see it as a three-man National League MVP race. You know who that is? Uh, Yelich, and then who? Bellinger. Oh yeah, he's filthy. Yeah, and Josh Bell. Yeah, Bell- I forgot about Bellinger. Um, he's pretty incredible. But Yelich, I just looked up his stats. He's hitting three forty-five this year with 29 homers and 62 yeah. guys. Like, that's also <laughs> insane. Um, yeah. It'll be fun. Ho- hopefully one of the guys on the Cubs roster can make a run at it. I picked Yelich in fantasy this year. I think I had, like, the ninth pick, and I was shocked that he was still there. And I got him, and then some of the guys were like, do you really think he's going to repeat what he did last year? I'm like, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I do. I think this guy is amazing. Yeah, he's on a Hall of Fame pace. Yeah, he's he's looking like the National League version of Trout. He steals bases, too. Yeah, he's pretty incredible. I like like Christian Yelich. Yeah, he's a likable guy. One last thing as we talk about Yelich, and then I'll uh, let you go in a little bit. And that's, uh, as you say, you like Yelich. It's interesting. It seems like the most popular guys in this sport are the guys who are not into the showmanship of having to bat flip, having to uh, stare down a pitcher or whatever you want to put in there. I look at maybe the three most popular guys in this league, Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, Christian Yelich. And they're just like the golden boys who, you know, 
<laughs> are very uh, they've got great sportsmanship, and I think that resonates with a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, you you got to put Bryce Harper in the top three if you're talking well, about popular. He's a um, he's a brand. He's polarizing though. I mean, I wouldn't say he's universally yeah, loved like the other three guys are. Yeah, I think so. But in terms of name recognition and even popularity, I think he, he's probably he's definitely yeah. top three. Uh, I guess what I was looking at is guys who are not uh, polarizing, who everyone seems to like. No one has any beef with. Yeah, no, and there, there's a lot. I mean, everyone seems to like Trout, Yelich, Judge, etc. But um, you know, there's definitely a market for guys like Harper who are you know a little bit more flashy, yeah, maybe. No doubt. Uh, I think baseball, yeah, baseball can certainly use more of those guys. Well, that is a conversation for another day. <laughs> we'll <laughs> right. be on here for another half hour <laughs> on that alone. But uh, thank you so much for joining me today, Connor. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jack. We're gonna have to do this again sometime. Are you uh, are you coming to the suburbs anytime this summer? I may I may be coming um, over the fourth, but haven't booked uh, final plans yet. Well, let me know if you do. It'd be fun to get out on the golf course with some other guys. It'd be fun, or you know, get Agreed. some lunch or something. Agreed. Uh, is there anything you want to promote while you're here? Do you have uh, social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, anything? Nothing I want to promote outside of uh, the Jack Vita podcast. <laughs> Press on sports. Yep. <laughs> yeah, send this out to your friends. I'm sure they'll appreciate hearing you on here. Definitely. Thanks, Jack. So that does it for my conversation with Connor Bame. Had a lot of fun talking baseball and basketball with him on the show today. If you like what you heard and you'd like to hear more from this podcast, subscribe to Press On Sports on iTunes. You will never miss an episode. You can also hit me up on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at TheJackVita. And I tweet a lot about sports, some movies and TV thoughts, reality TV, lots of fun stuff there. Love interacting and hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So thank you all for listening. Um, I may have another episode coming out this week or next week. We'll see. It could be a busy week. I would love to talk some Toy Story 4. So we'll see if I get a chance. Until then, though, have a great day. Bring in the dancing lobsters.